0: All right we're back with another episode of the lakers fast break podcast it's gerald glass for coming right back at you here from lakers fast break pop culture cosmos game source and inside sports fantasy football thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs if you haven't caught the lakers fast break lately you've been missing a lot and i'll tell you what if you're into the nba draft at all You need to check out many of the back episodes for the past two weeks because I've got some great interviews. Not only with the guest I have now, but also Michael Visenberg of uh, The Stepian. Also as well, Stone Hansen from DraftSide.com. And many conversations already with this man right here. He's been truly a great trooper indeed to go ahead and be on so many times. And I cannot thank him enough. You got to check out all the great things that he's doing at NBADraftJunkies.com. It's a truly outstanding site. He's been updating it and working on it constantly. And in fact, he has an updated mock Draft right there for you with some very interesting picks indeed. Plus, you also got to check out his profiles, his videos, and his podcast on his YouTube channel, NBA Draft Junkies. It is a good man indeed. It is Mr. Raphael Barlow of NBA Draft Junkies. And Raphael, hope you had a good weekend, my friend. Did you check out The Last Dance? I did. I did check it out and
1: um, it's it's tempting not to spend the whole day on social media discussing it and arguing different points about it. But yeah, it was good. Um, I don't feel like it was anything that we did not already know, but it just brings you back to the late 90s. And I think that's and of course, it's Michael Jordan. But I think that's one of the reasons why it's,
0: you know, it's, it's done so well and it's so talked about. Well, hopefully what it does more than just bring back the nostalgia for people like you and I that lived through that era and obviously knows how great, whether you're not a Chicago Bulls fan or not. I'm not a Chicago Bulls fan, but I recognize Michael Jordan is probably one of the most, in fact, he is the most dominant player I've ever seen on an NBA court. I'm just going to give you right there. I mean, the way teams would go ahead and defend him and give him that ultimate respect, I felt was probably more than I've ever seen any other individual in the way they were defended. More than Shaq? More than Shaq. More than Shaq because a lot of it is just sheer muscle. If he had more muscle than you, you try to whack him hard. Hopefully you can get him to the free throw line. A little. There was strategy, obviously, with Shaq, the way you treat Shaq. I'm not getting wrong on that, but there was more strategy in the way you treat Jordan because he brought such a different dynamic, I think, in the way he approached the game. And just the way I would see – you know, I, I get I you know back in, when I lived in L.A. at that point in time, and even in the early, early first years, I moved to Las Vegas in the mid '90s. I would see, and I would get WGN TV, and I could watch a game against, let's say, uh, I don't know, the Orlando Magic. Let's say I could see the way the entire team would shift towards playing him that I have rarely seen otherwise. Maybe Stephen Curry when he's really been hot. That's the only other times I've really seen an entire team shift its focus. Even LeBron James and how great he is, he is a difficult person to match up against. There's teams that will go ahead and say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and let you take that outside shot. We'll take our chances there. With Jordan, teams would just entirely focus from the half-court line and go, you know, like you know, we heard the Jordan rules and all that. Yeah. So I think that, you know, it's not a popular opinion, but, far as from a Lakers fan standpoint and I apologize for that but I have just not seen the way teams who have defended him on a regular basis in the middle of an NBA season as opposed to anyone else so I got to give him credit maybe it's just a theory of the time but again getting back to what I said originally it's not just about giving us the nostalgia that you and I lived through hopefully it just also educates a new generation of basketball fans on just how great Michael Jordan was.
1: Yeah, I think that um, for the kids that even if they're like 25 and and you forget that they never really got a chance to see him play live. It's just kind of all YouTube videos and. and, Oh, that's the guy with the shoe. (laughs) Yeah. So now they get a chance to really kind of see his dominance. And even like for me, um, I'm 40. So I was like maybe five or six in his early years. And I, and I thought that, you know, I knew everything about Michael Jordan. But seeing how fast he was and how much more athletic he was compared to the players from that era, and just in the video clips from yesterday, makes you just really appreciate how, how different he was.
0: Well, it was something to see indeed. A nice reminder of just how great those championship teams were. Although, as great as Jordan was, I still think... Personally, that the Lakers teams, especially the team that only lost once in the playoffs, was that 2001, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the one the only loss was to Allen Iverson in the first game in the, in the mm-hmm. finals. That, I think, is probably a team that's I best I've ever seen, because no team has ever gone through the playoffs quite like that. So I'm probably going to say that team, the 2001 Lakers, is the best team of all time, but it's mighty close when you got Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's
1: <laughs> that that's that would be a debate we'll have forever. Uh of course Shaq said that there would there
0: would be no chance. Well, because would... there's nobody to guard Luke Longley, Bill Wennington, John mm-hmm. Sally against Shaq. That's fifteen fouls. That yeah. at least that's something. <laughs> Robbie would have tried. <laughs> yeah. And you got Kobe against Michael. You know, Michael might win that matchup. Or there may be Kobe on occasions, but still, I would think of it as close enough as far as it's concerned, you know, where there's just the fact that even Pippen, as great as he was, he could still be defended on well enough to where, you know, the fact that it comes down to can you defend Shaq? And as soon as it comes down to can you defend Shaq or can't you defend Shaq, I think that would have been the difference for me. But, yeah, you know, I digress. So that's, yeah, just, I know it's a biased opinion from the Lakers fast break, but there you go. Well here's why I think
1: it's it can be a debate because Portland did a, a good job. You know, they almost took well that was the year before, but they with Pippen and Rashid, and they weren't as dominant as those Bulls teams, but they gave the Lakers a pretty good run for their money the year before with Shaq. And um, of course Sabonis was bigger than Longley. So it's it's a debate. I mean, it's something that we'll obviously never get a chance to to see, and there's no right or wrong answer, but For the topic of discussion.
0: It's 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 a great great. topic discussion and also a great chance to go ahead and play some NBA 2K. How about that? Well, we're here for more than just The Last Dance, my friend. And there's episodes three and four coming next weekend on ESPN. So you want to check that out, especially if you're a Bulls fan or someone that was really, you know, the 90s basketball was really endearing to you. Check it out indeed. That's ESPN's The Last Dance. But we're here today to talk the NBA draft once again. And we talked about in our pre one of our previous episodes the top ten power forwards. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to go ahead and move on to the actually what is endearing to a lot of NBA teams out there, and you know, they're try, always trying to get their hands on and try to find the right magic when it comes to the top ten small forwards and wings, and and something that you and I know as the NBA itself has transitioned into is something that teams are looking more. And more at that position, a three and D wing or someone who can create someone who can play make things of that nature from the wing position that could play a two, three, and possibly even four times. It's now more a more vital position than ever. So I want to hear your thoughts as we go into this. What are your thoughts on the top 10, starting with number 10 on the small forwards headed to the NBA draft as of now, as of now, as of now, of course, everybody hasn't declared yet yet.
1: Um, I have Robert Woodard from Mississippi State as my number 10. Um, I think he's just your ideal role player that should have a long 10-year career. He can put the ball on the floor a little. He's a pretty decent shooter. Just on the defensive end is probably where he'll have the biggest impact. He fills up the stat sheet on defense. And he plays tough, and I think he's one of the guys that can transition between playing three and the four. And I think that um, based on matchups, he may get a lot of time at, at the, at the four. So I like him a lot.
0: And that's something that's valuable. If he has the strength to go ahead and move up to a four and be able to go ahead and play that position. And as you know, as these teams want to go ahead and play smaller and faster, it's great to have someone who can go flip back and forth and defend a three and a four. And do you think he can do that effectively? I think so. I think he definitely
1: has the strength to play four. I call it the LeBron theory. I feel like maybe when LeBron's last few years and his first time in Cleveland, teams were placing higher value on guys that could move their feet or strong enough to play LeBron. And so, I mean, you saw guys that fit that build there their stock go up. So now I think that that's what a lot of teams are looking for is, is that versatile defender, because if you're coming out the West, you're going to face LeBron, or if you were coming out the East in years past, you're going to face LeBron. So you need that strong athletic defender. And I think like OG, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. From OG Open, Ananobi? Ananobi. He is the, is the guy that a lot of teams are looking for to fill out your rosters or look for complimentary role players, just strong athletic and moves well laterally and they can switch over. And and a lot of times guard, of course, three and four, but maybe even switch out and stay in front of ones and twos on, on certain matchups. Who do you have at number nine? Number nine, I have Sadiq Bay out of Villanova. I think he is a, You know, your typical 3 and D guy, he's a pretty good shooter. Villanova has done a good job of producing role players in the last few years, um, the last few drafts. And so I think that he just kind of fits that bill of not a superstar, but a guy that comes from a a winning background that plays hard, does the little things to win, and will be a good complementary player.
0: Sounds like a solid role player type deal, which – Hopefully, you're going to find many of in this NBA draft because, like we've talked about before, you're not going to find many stars that we don't think unless one breaks out of the pack like in 2013 when that was such a bad draft. Everybody was thinking that Giannis Antetokounmpo just literally came out of nowhere, and no one could have seen that coming. Mm -hmm. But as of now, it just looks like a draft that's going to have a lot of role players, hopefully, if it's successful enough in, in its own right. And hopefully he can go ahead and become one of those role players. Who do you have at number eight, as far as in mind?
1: Next is a guy that actually had on the power four list also, (laughs) Patrick Williams out of Florida State. I think he's. It just depends on who you who you are. Some people may have him as a four. Some may have him as a five. I think that's what kind of makes him an intriguing prospect. I'm sorry, not five, but a three or four. But that's what makes him somewhat of an intriguing prospect is because he has the size to play both positions. And if he can continue to develop as a shooter, then he's another guy that fits your three and D athletic mode that a lot of teams are looking for.
0: That's interesting, because like you said, you have him not only on your list of the top 10 power forwards, but on the top 10 small forwards. He ranks a little lower, if I remember correctly, on the small fours. Is there a reason why? Uh, I think on the power forward list, I had him at seven. So he's I basically think, even then.
1: Yeah, and actually, I had him at six on the power forward list, and so I got him at seven here.
0: It just sounds like maybe it's a little bit thinner in the power forward options than than the small forward options.
1: Yeah, just you know, with the way this current NBA and positionless basketball is set up. Some of the fours could easily move to fives. Some of the threes. So it's just, I think a lot of times, it's just a matter of opinion. Where do you see the guy? Yeah, and that- I wish it, I wish it was like, you know, two thousand, where you knew a four when you saw a four. They yeah. were all they wanted the big, strong Carl Malone bruisers, and you knew your fives and you knew your threes. But now it's just. It's it's actually tougher to make this list when you when you break it down by,
0: by fours by you know numbers.
1: Well, you, talk,
0: you, you talked about on on one of our previous episodes, tweeners were a bad word mm-hmm. during that period of time. Tweeners are now a good word at this point in time. Yep. So Definitely kinda, is. So it's kind of funny how that
1: works out. So how much the game has changed, you know? Like I said, tweener was was bad and if you were seven foot excellent low post score it was top five and now you can be the excellent low post score and the first thing they want to say is can you just can you defend in space and if you can't defend in space what you do on offense means almost nothing which
0: is a shame because you know uh, you know it just shows you where the game is evolving but like you said, if you can't defend at all in space, they'll just run you right off the floor. And that to me is, uh, you know, a changing of the times. I kind of like like it because my, my, you know, going back even further as far as from the old college days, I love those very, that very short period of time when the are running gun with UNLV and then Loyola Marymount. I love those teams running and gunning, fast breaking, three pointers, three pointers, three pointers. It's exciting it's mm-hmm. interesting and it, it you know it obviously was a precursor for that time that telling us down the road you're going to be able to do this and even the denver nuggets tried it in the early 90s when paul westhead went over there uh, obviously there's a more focus on defense than what he was doing but it just tells me that the, the game would eventually catch up to that type of evolution it didn't for a while But now that it has, I think it's something that is interesting for the fans to see. And if they really, truly embrace it, it's something I think that is better than just the, okay, let's take it down low, dribble, 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 and then try to back it in. Or, well, there's still holdouts. Like, for instance, we have James Harden, who last year when he was trying to dribble it 23 and a half seconds before he goes ahead and take a shot. That, to me, is unexciting basketball. But when you have, and I said this before, like Golden State at their height, Passing the ball around, zip, 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 three pointers, three pointers. That was exciting. Bringing that evolution of basketball in there, and now you see so many teams emulate that. And ball movement is so key, and shooting that three pointer now because of the analytics and all. I think this type, the way the game is changing, to me is a lot better now than it was ever before.
1: Yeah, I agree from a visual aspect of it because even when I was watching the, the last dance. And did you see the part where it was early in the the season? So it was like 90, obviously the last season that they were together and they showed the scores of the games. And it was like 80 to 91. I saw another score and I think they said they hadn't scored a hundred points in the first four games. That won't happen today. No, it it won't happen today. And the game is a lot faster. And I think what, Since the ball moves a lot more, like you said, with Golden State, I think it hurts the guys that are big-time isolation scorers. Because now, if you're a big-time isolation scorer, but you're not a good passer, then you end up in a six-man role. And if you don't do well in that role, then you end up in Europe or China, where they still will allow you to... Play isolation basketball every other possession and get forty or fifty points. So I feel like not only are there big men that have been kind of eliminated because of this new style of basketball, the isolation scores that are not good playmakers are also becoming obsolete.
0: And that's something that we see in James Harden, that he, at least he's a great passer. I yeah. give him props on that. Yeah, he can handle the ball. He can still drive to the basket. He can still do things even though he has Russell Westbrook now on the other side that takes up a lot of the ball too as well. But he can do things that keep him at the level that he's at, even though, like you said, it's isolation ball. He's one of the – he's the exception rather than the rule.
1: Yeah. I mean, I look at a guy like Deion Waiters, and I think I mentioned earlier, in the 90s, I think Deion Waiters would be a 20-point scorer he may not be a great playmaker for others, but when teams are running a lot of isolation plays for their best player, and then he has the size and strength to be able to bully smaller guys and you know has the creativity to blow by guys. But because he's not a great playmaker for others, he becomes a guy that he, he, he becomes like, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but just more so of a role player off the bench that that's his job is to come in for a few plays and score for the second unit and then not play with the star.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many, as you and I saw, or when you were younger and you and I saw in the nineties uh, and two thousands, so many 20 point scores who wouldn't be 20 point scores now these days. I mean, there's a list that you could mm-hmm. just say guys that were on teams, journeymen or what have you, that could score 20 points a game, average 20 points a game. Maybe not made an all-star or whatnot, but still, were effective in the league enough to be adequate at that point in time to go ahead and score that amount. But these days, if they still if they tried to play that ball in this environment, probably wouldn't even be off the bench at this point in time.
1: And in China, and that, I mean, I was there the past two seasons, and there are a lot of guys that are in China averaging 30 points a game, who are more talented than players in the NBA. But the only difference between the two is fit and role. The guys in the NBA that may just stand in a corner and run out in transition, like a guy like Trevor Reza is probably not a great one-on-one player, but he's had, I want to say this is like year 15 for him because he understands his role. and He can play with anybody, whether it's LeBron, Kobe. He just has that role that, Everybody wants. He compliments everybody. While a lot of the ball-dominant guys that can score a lot of points do not compliment players that are better than them.
0: That's true. Very, very much true. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift
1: where...
0: promoted and this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics that's the pop culture cosmos show and the pcc multiverse every week on apple podcasts and over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options we're back on course now going back to the top 10 small fours in the nba draft i believe we're at number seven if i'm not mistaken
1: yep I have a international flavor on this selection. It's a guy that I had a chance to see last summer in Greece, Leandro Balmero. I, I really like his upside. He's not a three and D guy. He's more so of a ball handling wing. Uh, what I like about him, and I, I, I just like a lot of the players from Argentina is they play with like this flash and this flare, whether it's, you know, the simple pass they, they add a little spice to it. And so this guy fits the stereotypical flashy Argentinian ball handler, which he knows how to play basketball as far as just, you know, the way they move and the way their, you know, their system has, has always been in play. They may not be like the most talented team international play, but they've always been respected because of just, you know, just the precision of how they run their offense. So he fits that bill of a guy that can play in any system. But I like him because of his potential as a secondary wing playmaker, a guy that can make plays for for his other teammates. His shooting is okay. I think it it can improve. But he's a guy that I'm, I'm actually pretty high on. And I would
0: not be shocked to see his stock really increase as we get closer to the draft. Well, so funny because when you go to NBA Draft Junkies to your site on YouTube, NBA Draft Junkies, you'll see that with virtually every person that you cover, Leandro, especially when it comes to the international players, as you and I were talking about before the show, like Leandro Balmero. And I was also mentioning, didn't think of the name off the top of the head before the show, but it is now, Alexi Pokusevsky, Pokusevsky, Alexi P, Alexi P, Alexei. <laughs> P. Yeah, Alexi P. Alexi P. We'll call him Lexi P. It's so funny when you look at those international players as far as the number of views, people are focusing on the strengths, but they don't want to see as much the areas for improvement. They don't want to see the good. They don't want to see the bad.
1: Yeah, I man, you know, that's what sells. But I started to do the areas of improvement videos because every once in a while I would have someone say, well, all I see is the good. All I see is the good. So I wanted to just... Show that what I think that the areas that the players need to improve on to maximize their potential. And I understand that the views won't, you know, they it won't be as popular as the strength videos, but I wanted to break it down into also because I mean, a lot of times people don't want to watch an eight or nine minute video. So if I break it down into it, give you the option whether you want to watch both, then that was just my philosophy of it. Give you an
0: option. I think we're finding that out with Quibi, but. Indeed, I digress. <laughs> but yes, uh, when it comes to your views, I mean, you got thousands and thousands and thousands of views on, on some of these European players, and it's interesting to see what they're looking at and uh, just the breakdowns in it. It's just so incredible indeed. And that's NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube. But getting back to where you're talking about as far as the top 10 small forwards, you I think we're into the top five now. Who do you have at number five?
1: At number five, I have. Is this number five? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm at. Are we at six? So we've done so, Bay, Balmero, Williams. So, yeah, so this is this would be six. I'm sorry if I, if I had it
0: wrong. Oh, no worries. So, okay. So, that was number seven for Leandro. Who we got mm-hmm. at number six for you? I struggle with, with choosing
1: between the next three guys. And so <laughs> it could be a tire for fourth. But right now I have uh, Josh Green out of out of Arizona. I have him as a wing. Some people may have him as a two. Again, it's it's debatable. But right now I have him at uh, I have him at at the three. And so he's um, I don't know if you had a chance to watch him play out in the Pac-10, but very athletic. I, I like his potential as a defender but he's a guy that I would love to see in a fast-breaking West Coast open floor offense where he can get out and and, the, and transition and show his athleticism.
0: You know, that'd be a great idea for him. I, that'd be a great look. I know that would be something that I think a lot of players and fans I'd like would love to see is because he, he, he could, I think as far as transition is concerned, he he's one of those people that could really step it up. And on a fast-breaking up-tempo team, that could be a, that could really work out for him that would probably be the most ideally suited team for his for his attributes yep and of course like we've been saying that
1: um, he needs to really improve his shooting to be a, a three and D type player I think he can be a good shooter long term just needs to work at it and he, he strikes me as a guy like a lot of players his age that are really athletic, they were able to dominate on the high school, AAU, or even like international levels due to their athleticism. And now
0: it's time to really focus and hone in on skill development. Well, now we're into the top five, my friends. So who you got at number five?
1: Number five is a guy that I see as a specialist, um, Aaron Neesmith, or maybe it's Nesmith, but I think it's Neesmith out of Vanderbilt. He shot – very well from three. I can't think of it off the top of my head. I had it in my notes, but I want to say he shot over 50, 52% from three. And so I think that he's a guy that will, if he goes to the right team, I think he can make a very, very big impact as a rookie. Um, Well, he's coming off a knee injury. So it depends on how well that goes. It's an ACL, I believe, which as you remember back in the nineties, that was a devastating injury. So he could be ready for training camp, especially with the season looking like it's going to start late. But I think he's a guy that I don't have him getting drafted in the lottery, but he's a guy that I wouldn't be shocked is first or second team all rookie if he goes to the right system where all he has to do is knock down open shots. How is he on the defensive end? Defensively, he's he's okay. I don't really put him in the box as a three and D guy i just think he's more so of a offensive specialist that you know his the gravity that he creates on offense because of his shooting
0: will make a dominant ball handler make their life easier but that's the thing his defense will ultimately keep him out on the court yep and that's someone that you and i both have discussed before as a possibility on the lakers if he drops down there because as you talked about, if any rookie, if any rookie is going to play on the Lakers team next year, if anyone, got to go ahead and be a shooter to yeah. pass, for LeBron to pass to. So, uh, I don't see many other options as far as any rookies, you know, being able to play on that team at this point in time. I agree. So, who do you have at number four? Number four, you said it was close race between number four, number five, and number six, almost a virtual tie, so to speak. So, who do you have at number four?
1: I have, and this is another guy that I could. Well, some could possibly see him as a two. I think, but more than likely he's a three. And it's um, Devin Vassell out of Florida State. I think he is the prototypical three and D guy. He shot well from three. I want to say shot in the high thirties. He's long. He can create his shot a little bit. He does rely a lot on the mid-range shot, which is frowned upon in, in today's NBA. But I think that helps him out in the sense that because he's a good shooter, he will be able to make plays for himself off the dribble if he faces a hard closeout. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Rodney Hood. He's not left-handed, but he's a guy that can knock down open shots, but he can also fill a role as a scorer off the bench where you can actually run plays for him. And he can, like I said, create his own shot if needed.
0: Well, there you go. Somebody that could break out amongst that pack right there, number four, number five, and number six. Looks like you have a different tier when it goes into the top three. Sounds like there's a little bit of a gap between three and four. So basically, at this point in time, you're talking about three players that are going to make a bigger impact or most likely would be making a bigger impact in the NBA draft. Who would be at number three in your top ten small forward?
1: Well, number three, I have
0: Jaden McDaniels.
1: As far as talent alone, you you could easily make a case and say he's the most talented small forward out of the group. He's 6'9", maybe 6'10", fluid athlete. He handles the ball. He can create his own shot. You know, there's a little bit of, and I'm not comparing him, but there's a little bit of the Kevin Durant, Brandon Ingram body type, big guard ability to create his own shot he has all the talent. I mean, of course, there's areas that he needs to improve on, but most notably, he needs to get stronger because he's so physically weak. I think that he's going to struggle a little bit early, kind of like what Brandon Ingram, struggle a little bit, you know, teams whenever he drove, he couldn't get to his spots. People bumped him off his spots. So I think if, if you're a team in the lottery and maybe like a Sacramento or a Portland or a team that that pretty much has their core intact and you don't need him to come in right away and be a starter. I think he's a guy that I would develop in the G league and have him get stronger and just put him in a situation where, you know, you're just grooming him because the talent is there. It's just the intangibles and he, he must get stronger and he must work on his, his basketball IQ. And I also like him on the defensive end. I think he has the potential to be a pretty good defender due to his athleticism and his length.
0: And somebody, like you said, has a lot of potential and could end up being, of the small forwards, the best one, I think, from what I've seen on the tape. But like you said, it's I don't want to use the word – I guess you got to use the word raw talent, I think, probably qualifies the best for JD
1: Yeah, he's like a combination of skilled raw talent. Because I know a lot of times when you think of raw, you just think of like some freak athlete that just – you know, doesn't really know what he's doing. I think he knows what he's doing and he definitely has a skill set. It's just a matter of putting it all together. And I think that was his issue this year. He had a pretty good freshman year, but his production didn't necessarily match his talent. And so if, you, if you're a team that you can bring it out of him, then you definitely have, at the minimum, I think, a high-level starter in the NBA.
0: We'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. we're down to the final two, my friend. Final two on your list of the top 10 small forwards. So who do you have at number two? These two could easily be flip-flopped. So
1: right now at number two, I have Isaac Okoro from Auburn. He's most notably known for his defense right now. I think that he is the modern three. And well, he's not really a shooter at this point, but he's what – you want out of your modern small forward defender. He's 225 pounds. He's strong. He has great feet. He's fluid. He can defend ones, twos, threes, and maybe some fours in a small ball lineup. I think he's a a connective tissue complementary piece. Like the ideal situation, in my opinion, for him would be either like Atlanta or Minnesota, two teams that already have their... You know, they have their cornerstones and they need that piece around them that makes up for the lack of defense and lack of defensive intensity that, you know, a Trey Young or, or you know, even if, if Minnesota, you know, Russell and Towns. Offensively, those two are great, but I think they need a tough defensive minded complimentary player in the starting lineup to go along with them because neither one of those guys are known for the defense. And we already know about Atlanta's struggles on defense. They gave up nearly 120 points per game. And even though they already have multiple wings that they've drafted in the past and that they're developing, I think Okoro is a guy that will bring a, a defensive identity to that team. And he can probably cover up some of the defensive mistakes that, um, you know, Trey Young makes because I mean, just due to his lack of size, he's he's going to be a mismatch or, or liability on defense. So Okoro is a guy that can switch off and take the best wing player.
0: With him, I just see about size, you know, not about uh, as far as strength because at 6'5", 225, that's a, that's a pretty good build. It looks like he's going to be pretty strong in the NBA. And like you said, he can match up strength-wise with two threes and fours, possibly mm-hmm. even fours. Uh, but when it comes to the actual size as far as height, I think measured at six five ish
1: six five six six but you know the interesting thing to me is that I don't it seems like teams don't really care about that as much anymore they care about your
0: wingspan so wingspan I think that's probably use the case yeah
1: yeah I mean you look at Horton Tucker uh, he's a guy that I don't know how tall he is, but I think His wingspan was over seven foot. So is he listed like six four? Yeah. Something like that. But I think his wingspan is what makes him such an intriguing prospect. And so Okoro is a guy that I don't know his wingspan off the top, but I do remember it was a positive wingspan. Oh, six, eight, six, eight wingspan. So and this is probably, you know, this is an older, an older list, six, eight, six, nine wingspan. So I think um you know, he, it makes up for his lack of height, so to speak. But just his defensive intensity and how he moves his feet and, and the physical nature of which how he defends, I think, will you know, will be good for any team. At, at the minimum, I think he's going to be a top 20, 25 defender. But his height and as far as where his career goes is, is obviously going to be based off of how well he can shoot the ball. But he does have some playmaking ability. He is a pretty good passer. So I think there's a lot of value in a guy that will understand his role, play tough defense, and moves the ball, and he can make plays for others.
0: Sounds like a plan. It sounds to me a little bit, although like a a better playmaking version, but not quite as good now in the shooting aspect as P.J. Tucker.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's as good of – I mean, you got to remember when P.J. Tucker was at Texas, he played center. And so I think P.J. is a (laughs) – he's a weird combination of he has guard height, but his natural position on defense is the post. I mean, his legs are so strong, you you can't post him up. I think Okoro is more so of a wing defender. But in in my opinion, the best-case scenario for Okoro would be like a Jalen Brown type – development on offense. I remember watching Jalen Brown after his freshman year at Cal and you saw talent, but it was like, what does he do well? But he did a little bit of everything to where the right skill development and the right team has helped him develop into a pretty good offensive player. And so if you're a team and you can get that type of development out of Okoro on top of his defense, then you could end up with you know, maybe a mini Kawhi Leonard, and so I think um, he has what you can't teach. You know, defense is like a—it's to me—it's an attitude. You, you have to have guys that want to play defense. I think it's easier to turn a great defensive player with skills into a good offensive player than vice versa.
0: I agree. Yeah, that's that's definitely what I've seen so far in the NBA. Well, outside of Michael Chris, Uh yeah, that, that just didn't work for whatever reason. Great defender, but can never get a shot. But I have seen, like you said, more defensive specialists been able to hone one aspect of the offensive game, mm-hmm. one aspect or more than easier for them to than an offensive player. Although we, had, you know, Kyle Kuzma is someone that was great on the offensive end, was really porous on the defensive end, but he this year has held his own statistically, and also I test a little bit better this year. So that's maybe improving in there. But you're right. It's so. It's much easier for defensive players to go ahead and, and pick up one aspect of the offensive side of the game.
1: Well, in Kuzma's case, it does help when you have Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, okay. and Dwight Howard behind you. So if you get beat off the dribble, the help is there. But he, he has improved, and I don't think he's been given enough credit for – effort that he has made, but I also feel like because he's on a team that is trying to win now, and he has the guys that are holding him accountable, he has no choice but to defend. Or He's not LeBron, hitting a shot. So. Yeah. If you took LeBron off the team and he still had the same group of guys before, he probably doesn't have to really play defense because he knows that he's going to play a lot of minutes regardless, and pressure can make or break you. And I think for, for him, he's, he's proven that the pressure of having to win has
0: made him step up on the defensive end, especially on the ball, on the ball. Defense has improved. He was just like a a sieve, you know, go by, you can go by me. Anytime you want to go by me, go ahead in previous years, this year, they have a matching up against guards. I saw him matching up against Russell Westbrook. I, match, I see him matching up against power forwards. I remember coming into the season, they wanted to actually think about playing center, which I thought was very funny. But yeah. yeah, I see him matching up against small forwards, power forwards, and and holding his own on a lot of occasions, which is a step in the right direction for him.
1: Yeah, he has to because he's the one that teams are going to pick on. So if he's on the floor with LeBron or AD or KCP and even like a Rondo or Avery Bradley, like he's the one guy that you're going to pick on. So he stepped up to the challenge. And like I mentioned that, I don't think that he's been given enough credit for the improvement that he's made as a defender, but also, you know, having been surrounded by four good defenders on the court also kind of makes his job a little easier in a sense. Maybe it's the change in hair color back to his original. We'll see. (laughs) Or the Pumas, maybe because he switched to Puma. he's yeah. a good Indian Pumas.
0: Although he he's not exactly was the happiest individual in the world about ready to announce a Chinese clothing line, and unfortunately Daryl Morey had to say what he said, which to men in many circles was another issue entirely. Whether you support or not support it, I'm not going to actually go into that because I don't want to be blocked in China right now. But uh, I was in China when it happened. It was so weird. Oh, I could imagine. You guys, one day. Set that aside, we're going to table that aside so we can actually have that discussion here at the Lakers Fast Break, because that is fascinating, because we had earlier in the year, Laker Tom and I had so many uh, discussions in regards to that, but that is for another day, we'll, we'll, we'll show them that. Sounds good. But number one right now is on the list for the top 10 small forwards, and we'll go ahead and touch on number one on your list of the top 10 small forwards headed to the NBA draft. As of now. Well, he's been number one on my list all season,
1: and it's Denny of Adija from Israel. I really think that he has high-level potential. He's played in the EuroLeague this year, which is, you know, in my opinion, the second best league outside of the NBA. He he started off not really playing a lot; he had to earn his minutes, and then there were some injuries that allowed him to play a little bit more. And then he played well in the in the uh, domestic league in Israel. But he really made a name for himself last year at the under 20 championships. In it was in Israel. He's a, a very good passer. He's, um, I mean, I think he's a hybrid 3-4. I mean, he'll start off as a three, but I think that down the line, or even in closing lineups, he can play the four. He's a good rebounder. His, his best strength right now is his passing. But he's an aggressive slasher. He can finish with both hands, and surprisingly, and he's he's a pretty good team defender. He's he actually like gets a fair share amount of block shots at the rim. But the the red flag for him is his shooting, most notably his free throw shooting. He's only shot about fifty something percent from the free throw line over maybe like the last hundred games if you count like. EuroLeague, the Israeli Domestic League, and even in the um, in the FIBA under 20. So that's a major concern which could possibly limit how effective he is when it comes to driving to the rim. But I have him, number one, because I just believe in his superstar potential. I think that he's a guy that will be able to create mismatches all over the floor. He, um, he can post, um, you know, when teams switch, if you have a guard on him, he can post weaker guards and then in the post he's such a gifted passer as far as finding the cutters and finding open shooters he becomes a weapon when he when he has the ball all over the floor so I'm, I'm really high on, on Denny Picha
0: well there you go there's a top 10 small fours right there for you headed to the NBA draft as decided upon by Rafael Barlow of NBA Draft Junkies you got to check out what he's doing today at nbadraftjunkies.com his mock list his mock list is there you got to go ahead and check out his nba mock draft well we'll talk about mock drafts here before we head on out but nba mock draft is right there on the front page nbadraftjunkies.com plus also see his breakdowns of pretty much everyone he's talking about and if he's not there yet he'll post that soon on his youtube page thousands and thousands of people subscribe While you're there, like the video, subscribe to his channel. It's NBA Draft Junkies. Great podcasts that are up there as well. I love the arguments with your brother, but that's beside (laughs) the point. It's nbadraftjunkies.com. you got to go ahead and check out there or on YouTube. Hi, this is Mr. Holiday from the podcast, My Worst Holiday, and you're listening to the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Coming soon from Rob McCallum Films, Zero Cool Films presents action figure adventure super collector jay bartlett hits the road once again in search of action figures most iconic and noteworthy and rare
1: figures all in the name of creating the most ultimate action figure auction ever he fronts the cash that charity benefits in the end what will he get how will he get it and how well will he do find out november 1st 2020 this and many more from rob mccallum film
0: Raphael, before we head on out, just wanted to hear some quick thoughts on some teams that are really getting it right for the most part. As you and I both know, you know, not every team gets 100% correct, but for the most part has gotten it right in recent years for the NBA draft. This is tough.
1: I think like, I mean, even the Lakers, I know this is a Lakers podcast. The Lakers have done really well, in my opinion, on their their last few draft picks. Especially considering. They've done
0: well for other teams, that's for sure. That's that's true. But considering
1: that they have, um, I mean, I guess you can say maybe, you know, they could have taken someone better than, than Lonzo Ball. But I feel like even with, like, some of the late-round guys, Kuzma was a steal. He was a guy that you're getting lottery value for a late-round pick. Thomas Bryant was a good pick, even though he's he's
0: gone. You could say that's a lot of players. I mean – it's just that they've chosen effective NBA players, not players mm-hmm. that have washed out from the league. The Lakers have done a good job by, by selecting players from everyone from what we see uh, on the Clippers, on the, the Washington Wizards. Mo Wagner, he's done a right. great job. Ivica Zubak, he's done a great job. I mean, New Orleans, we see what the trade did with three great players that have, have been effective for that team and you see all the the, the remnants from it, yes, not many players are left on the Lakers team from those draft choices, but it was for a reason. It got Anthony Davis, it it moved the cap space and all that. So for the most part, the Lakers have done an effective job, and I I agree with you on that assessment, of producing NBA players. Mm -hmm. Because if they swing
1: and miss on those picks, then you don't get Anthony Davis. You may have to wait for him to come as a a free agent, but you definitely won't be able to get him through trade if – they, you know, didn't make the right choices there, but I thought they've done a good job of just identifying talent late in the draft. And even though the high draft picks are what kind of make or break, you know, a lot of general managers jobs, I feel like finding the talent late in the draft and finding complementary pieces and role players are really what makes the the whole situation. makes, you know, just shows how much you go into a way you can evaluate talent, I should say. As far as other teams that I think have have done well, I think Dallas has done well as far as just getting, well, in, in recent years. Well, I should say like this: getting Luca just kind of made every other pick a little bit easier. It's kind of like, you know, if you draft one great player, it covers up for a lot of mistakes you made in, in other drafts. So I think with Luca, well, obviously, it was a big time get I think Jalen Brunton has been a pretty good uh, contributor to their team. So I thought, I thought they've done well, but it's, it's very interesting to me because a lot of teams have been trading their picks away and it seems like there's a few teams that are hoarding all the picks coming up in the near future. So I know Oklahoma city has up to like 13 first round picks in the next seven years. Miami has, I think uh, they have Miami's pick. The Clippers have given up their picks. Um, The Knicks should have quite a few draft picks. So I'm really curious to see how how these teams that have all these picks going forward, what selections they make and how they decide to to build their rosters going forward. But as far as teams that make good picks, again, Denver has done very well with their picks. I was just going to say them. Yeah, they got Jokic in the second round. They drafted Nurkic. Well, I think they, the Bulls drafted him, but they made a trade. Jamal Murray was a good pick. And I think they built a very good team, arguably one of the top five teams in the NBA record-wise. And as far as lottery picks, off the top of my head, lottery picks that they drafted, I think Jamal Murray is the only one.
0: Michael Porter, if you consider that.
1: Was he lottery or was he like? I think he was lottery. 14, yeah, so he was lottery. And he hasn't really, you know, been able to contribute much the last two years. He had he had a couple games where he showed that, you know, he's he's definitely a, a high level NBA talent. But other than that, their core, like their starting five, something
0: just one lottery pick. Well, if there's one other team you would think that has drafted well in recent times, uh, who would that be? Uh let
1: me think off the top of my head. I, I
0: I can't. I'm I'm at a
1: loss for words right now. Who is it,
0: in your opinion? Well, I'd probably say the Clippers. Uh, Clippers have drafted well enough to and use as assets. When you're able to go ahead and use assets like they mm-hmm. like they have, I think that they've drafted well enough to go ahead and provide for that. Like you said, like you said before, the Lakers wouldn't have gotten AD if they didn't draft well. I think the the Clippers wouldn't have gotten the you know the trade for Paul George if they didn't have enough draft choices that they made. There was been a couple too that they've they've not done well at. Uh, Jerome Robinson, I think, is one that's that's not panned out well. But and, having and that's, the guy, uh, that's the guy
1: who I was curious Sorry to cut you off because they drafted him so high but did not play him. Yeah. So I thought that was really weird, and that's why I didn't necessarily have them high on. My list because I felt like how often does a team draft a guy that high and like literally does not play him at all? And then right now he's he's in Washington now.
0: Yeah, but I'm thinking Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think they did a real good job in drafting him as a second part of that mm-hmm. draft. Yep. Uh, so I think that's that's why maybe I, I held them a little bit higher because he's developed into such a nice player. He's another
1: uh, Kentucky guy that has been a better pro than college player. He's yeah. kind of the Devin Booker, <laughs> the little Devin Booker going. Cause I don't think anybody expected Booker to be as good as he, as uh, he's been in the NBA when he didn't start in college. He was playing behind the Harrison twins.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It's probably not been the greatest by, by, by the Clippers on looking at their draft choices now. So maybe we'll take them off this list, but I mean Shea Gill just has, has got a great future. Yeah, there, there's really not a lot of teams out there that have really done well enough to make you know your eyes pop out. And you could just think off the top of your head. Hey, they've done, they've done well. They've done well. They've done well. well.
1: I guess, I guess you can say Utah. I mean, if you go back for the last maybe seven years, getting O'Barr late and, go and yeah, making the trade true. for Donovan Mitchell, so they were able to get their two cornerstones without a top ten pick, which is very tough to do in today's nba i guess but i think you wanted like the last five years so they're just right outside of that
0: yeah and they've done anytime you can net that i I agree with you Mm -hmm. uh same thing they they drafted josh hart and thomas bryant but they traded to the lakers so like you said when they've gotten donovan mitchell or they actually traded for donovan mitchell i think Mm -hmm. was the case and then they also got rudy gobert i think that's probably what you see there as far as quality evaluation on like you said getting two cornerstones and that shows you the problem of the draft that you can miss on so many but if you make one or two right selections that can be the cornerstone of your team that could be the difference between a winning team and a losing one and Memphis is probably the best example
1: right now i mean they've they've got their last two picks correct it's interesting that they won't have
0: a pick this year i believe it goes to boston Um, I forget which trade that was, but... That was the infamous trade that everybody was hoping in Boston would be so low because Memphis, they were assuming it was going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was going to be like a top five pick, so they were salivating. And just year after year, Memphis getting a little better. Now, obviously, they're a playoff team or right on the verge of being one.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's
0: not looking as great right now. I think Boston is hoping... One reason why
1: they're hoping the season starts up is because they probably want... New Orleans or Portland or even Sacramento to catch the Grizzlies. So that way they, uh, or no, actually, yeah. If they get out of the lottery, then that probably helps the Celtics. If they get out of the playoffs, it helps the Celtics.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, that's a great discussion. Once again, I'm talking to Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. I'm so excited because in the next time we talk, you're going to be here. Your brother's going to be here. Stone Hansen from draftsite.com is going to be here. Michael Visenberg from the steppian's is going to be here. We're so excited because it's our NBA mock draft. I'm just so excited to go ahead and, and be a part of this. All the great stuff that's going to come down this week. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to doing so. But before we head on out, and obviously that great show coming up this week with the NBA mock draft and all that, what's coming up for you and NBA draft, junkies?
1: Right now, I'm um, about 90% done with completing my, my mock lottery. And for each player, I have a reason why I think that they would be a good fit for this particular team. By the time this airs, the, the site will be updated with that information. And then once I finish that, I'll, I'll go on to finish the first round. And then I'll just continue to put up different content. The last few days, I've been having like podcast discussions with my brother about different players that we like. Sometimes the conversation may last an hour, and and so I I try to break it up into maybe five to 10 minute videos. Um, But we're just offering a different perspective. I mentioned in a couple of the videos that we've we've worked and trained with NBA players. So one of the things that I'm thinking about doing is creating a new series called Summer School. And basically, we talk about what we would do with a particular player if we were in charge of their training and the stuff that we would have them work on. So, yeah, I'm just creating content. I think at least every day or maybe not every day, every other day, I should have something up on YouTube. And I just keep updating the site and keep working hard. So we have plenty of time right now to focus on the draft. And it looks like the draft won't be until maybe August at the minimum. So I should have a lot, a lot of content between now and actual draft day.
0: That's awesome. And I cannot thank you enough. Personally, I want to make it publicly known that I cannot thank you enough for your support. I just appreciate everything that you've done for this show. It is NBA Draft Junkies. you got to check out what he's doing today. NBADraftJunkies.com. And like and subscribe his videos and subscribe to his channel on YouTube my friend, thank you so much for being a part of today's show. Again, if you like our show and you like what we do at the Lakers Fast Break, please give us that five-star review. Like and subscribe as well while you're at it for the Lakers Fast Break, whether it's on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel or on its own channel, the Lakers Fast Break, available on podcast outlets everywhere. Raphael, I'm so excited. Are you getting everything ready for the NBA mock draft coming up this week? I'm
1: prepared. I mean, I spent the whole day updating my personal mock draft, so – it seems like I have quite a few of the scenarios already played out in my head who I think I would take. My question is, as far as the order, are we going by, is it going to be-
0: uh, I'm just going to, pull I'm going to go pull the names on the hat. So in order, one through five. So team as far, order, as far as team order. Yeah, oh, team order, yeah. It's going to be team order, yeah. Uh, okay, just, so based off the records? Yeah, just based off the records right now. If we ever decide to do it again, Maybe we'll go closer to the draft, which I hope we could. We'll go ahead with whatever the teams look like at that point in time after the lottery and all that. But, yeah, just whatever is good just record-wise. Right?
1: I think we should put all the teams in a, in a bowl and then,
0: then make your own lottery system. <laughs> uh, nah, nah, nah. That's a headache in and of itself. <laughs> oh, and I don't want any part of that. Uh, unless you pay me Adam Silverman. Then we might talk. Yeah, I do a lot for Adam Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both. Well, it's been great talking to my friend. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of today's show. Just truly appreciate you being part of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast.